Welcome back. If you haven't listened to part one of this episode, please do so. If you already have, we're just going to dive right in. In part one, we got to know what Mexico was like in the mid-40s through the early 70s. The essential point being that Mexico was a supportive, tight-knit community where people didn't have to lock their doors and everyone knew their neighbors. And by the end, we started to hear that the strong community the elders remembered has changed. I wanted to know more about communities in general, how community is defined and how communities have evolved over the years. I reached out to a friend, Dr. Jackie Burns, who now teaches sociology at Austin Community College. Before moving to Texas, Jackie was very active in the Alton community and did a lot of work in the Mexico neighborhood. I called her up to help me think through some of the issues facing Mexico today. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Jackie. How are you? I'm good. Are you still in? Yes. Yeah, we got here. How would you define community? Um, I'm curious what your definition is and and how has that changed throughout the years? I really like uh, Peter Block. He's uh, one of my favorite sociologists that deals with community and his definition is pretty simple. It says that a community is the experience of belonging and to belong uh, to a community is to act as a creator and co-owner of that community. It's to be related to and be a part of something. You feel like you belong, you have relations and you're making something happen. Um, I, I like that um, definition the best uh, because I think it is about belonging and feeling like you're coming home. It's an emotional, but it's got economic and social and political undertones. But I think all of them add up together to create a sense of belonging and co-creatorship. If you think about all of those persons living in Mexico during the 50s and 60s, I think, you know, if you think about that whole area, that was the height of prosperity in terms of jobs and the diversity of jobs was robust. And so you could have those school teachers and across a wide spectrum of occupations living in the area and working in the area. Then right about the 1970s, we started globalization and outsourcing all these jobs to industrial jobs to other nation states and primarily Mexico in the beginning. But, you know, now it's global. So once you start shifting your occupational structure like that so dramatically, you're displacing a lot of people who you know, there's no jobs to replace those occupations. So you start seeing uh, the sprawl of suburbia and people moving out, following jobs. And those jobs left behind are pretty marginalized. And then they eventually go. And by 80s and 90s, we're moving completely into this surface economy. And so probably people will say, well, why are you talking about the 1990s? But unfortunately, what was true in the 1990s is true in 2018. Uh, we never recovered those jobs. So people were permanently displaced into these lower occupations. And if you think, what is a community? I mean, first and foremost, you have to be able to afford housing and just, you know, daily living. If that's eroding, then you're eroding just the foundation of a community in general. 
if you think about, we have occupational sex segregation where women are channeled into pink collar jobs. So we have the same thing happening with race where African-Americans were channeled into those. They may be industrial jobs and union jobs. They have high wages, but they're considered, quote, low skill jobs. And so once those jobs start shifting, um, these families, they're not able to support themselves because now you're getting into survival. People are stressed out. They're not as friendly. It's kind of, you know, the rule of scarcity. No one's got time to visit. They're working three and four jobs. They're trying to find people to take care of their kids. They're driving further distances to find work. And then when they get to that work, it's underpaid and so on and so forth. So it's kind of a, once you start losing those good jobs, then you can expect to see a downward spiral in any neighborhood. She then mentions another issue facing communities like Mexico. There's also the issue of racial housing segregation. She referenced researcher Douglas Massey, who wrote a book about the consequences of racial residential segregation. It's kind of a long story, but the end game is that the black segregation becomes very intense. um, And it's what he calls hyper segregation. So that hyper segregation really is spatial isolation. And that contributes to urban poverty. And they feel like it's the primary cause of racial inequality in the United States. So if the way that they describe it is if you're in a racially mixed and occupationally mixed community, if some people get laid off, you still have others who are able to carry the community. But if you have an entire neighborhood who's dependent on a couple of industries and you're segregated by race and you're not interconnected with the larger surrounding economy, then you become extremely vulnerable to economic collapse of that community. And so if you think about if you're racially segregated and you're being put in these uh, residentially racially segregated, and then you're also occupationally segregated, we know African-Americans are having a difficult time getting into the higher paying jobs. They're, they're much like women and other minorities. There's not the same return on investment on your education. You, you may have the same degree, but you're not going to get the job. And if you get the job, you're not going to get the same rate of pay. That leads to even more poverty. And so then you end up with Mexico as it is today, real transient uh, people not able to own a home. Their wages just can't support that. I wanted to hear from others in the community about how the Mexico community has changed. Here is Don Huber, a local Alton historian who, growing up, spent a lot of time in Mexico. It was very interesting, and it's very different now in that since all those businesses are gone, there's the, uh, all the taverns are gone, all the grocery stores are gone, um, it's all residential, which is you know, the city thinks is ideal, but it it loses some vibrancy when you don't have that kind of a, you know, a catalyst in the, in, the, in the neighborhood. They've gone in and purposely removed a lot of the derelict buildings. That creates a different kind of an atmosphere in the neighborhood where, you know, it's 
it's not filled in. It's not, you know, it's not complete in some ways. Here is Benjamin Gali, owner of today's beauty supply located in Mexico. Many also know Benjamin's business as one of the six local businesses that appeared on Hulu's Small Business Revolution show in 2018. Yeah, over the years it's changed, you know, some people call it white flight. Um, over the years, you know, people who could move, moved. Uh, and I think that's what hurts a neighborhood is when quality role models that uh, make up a community because the community is made up of many different type of people, whether it's teachers, uh, doctors, lawyers, business owners. All that has to be seen within a community in order for the young people who are coming up to have role models that they can see day to day in order to even have a vision of what they can be. So over the years, as people moved out, more rental property became apparent to where people started moving in, renting instead of home ownership. Uh, that changed the environment a little bit. But the point is, everybody in the neighborhood was part of every kid. Mm -hmm. All of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now, you don't know your neighbor early. Any kids now, generation now, never had no home or no family life. Or, you know, the world has changed. And we're all, we're neighbors and friends. And now it's not that way anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. Everybody uh, for their own and People coming and going, moving all the time. That was Floyd Raglan, the nephew of Alton's Joseph Raglan, the record-breaking bricklayer that still holds the title in the Guinness Book of World Records. And Floyd and Benjamin are right. When people are constantly moving in and out of a neighborhood, that will have an effect. Benjamin told me about one woman who has made a point to stay in the neighborhood. Even like there's uh, one particular lady that lives in this neighborhood who she never left. Um, she's a retired judge, Eller Duff. Those are the type of staples that when you stay in the neighborhood, because that type of action is what makes a difference. And and I've always, every time I talk to her and stuff, you know, I always commend her for constantly being a part of the neighborhood. I met with Judge Duff over coffee one afternoon. Originally from Missouri, she moved to Alton in the early 80s, where she worked at the Land of Lincoln Legal Assistance Foundation. In 1987, she became the first female African-American appointed to the third judicial circuit bench here in Madison County. I asked her the importance of staying in a community and wanted to know why she herself decided to stay. Because a community is, it's like a village, you know, in the old days. Everybody helped everybody, everybody looked out for everybody. And we've sort of gotten away from that as uh, familial relationships tended to spread out and because of jobs or whatever, people seem to leave the community in the neighborhood. So you don't have that sense of community or that feeling of village any longer. And I think it's important for those of us that are committed to the community to um, do what we can to help to maintain, recreate, rebuild that sense of community. And plus, you know, I just love my neighbors. And as they started dying off, you know, I thought it's a time for me to get out of here. And my sister said, you can't move. And I'm looking, I'm like, why? And she said, how many young black children have an opportunity to say that I know a judge or that a judge lives on my street? So that kind of guilted me into um, staying. And I, I'll never forget this little boy was riding around on his bicycle. And he kept going back and forth. I live in a corner. He kept going back and forth, back and forth. And so I would just watch him to see what was going on. And finally he stopped. 
And he said, is you the judge's wife? And I started laughing. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm the judge. And he had this really, I can't describe the look on his face. And he just kind of smiled. And so periodically he would come by and say hi. So it was just a nice little typical neighborhood. You know, nobody was wealthy or anything. And then when I... Um, became a judge I made a lot more money but it was just a nice neighborhood and I didn't want my children to grow up feeling privileged I wanted them to know and understand what it was like growing up as a black child in this community I didn't want to move out to Godfrey or move to a neighborhood with big fancy houses or anything because you know I was blessed to have the job but with our society the way it was, there was no guarantee that they would have the same opportunities. And so I wanted them to know what it was like. And I think I succeeded. I asked her how she thinks the city is doing at maintaining the buildings in Mexico. And so um, eventually the city bought the property and tore the bars down. So that made the neighborhood a little bit safer. And then they came along and tore out a lot of the um, old rundown homes that had been abandoned and built some other homes that were supposed to be affordable, but regrettably, they were uh, not quality built homes, and so they're beginning to deteriorate. So I imagine that unless there's some intervention in another 10 years, the neighborhood's gonna be back like it was, which is sad. So what can we and our communities do to solve some of these issues? Here again is Jackie. Well, I think we could go back to Peter Block's definition of community, you know, a, a place where you're, you're relating to one another. I, his, so, you know, one of his many solutions was that uh, the experience of belonging, you have to create that space where people can come in and, and get to know each other. And we really don't offer that anymore. Like have a block party with a barbecue and feed people. Food's always a great social lubricant i mean you know uh just to get people together having an organization uh come together and and hold an event where people can come and meet each other and have them talk about their top priorities what do they need and i think it's important for people to interact get to know each other just because we man wasn't created to live alone and you can live by yourself and accomplish some things but you can accomplish so much more if you work together and if you're interacting together and so much is lost in this country because people focus on differences as opposed to the things that we all have in common and the only way that a community can be the very best that it can be is to get to know people, to share that dialogue, to share the dreams, because we all have dreams, we all have values, and a lot of them are common dreams and common values. And we've grown to uh, be afraid of and reject what doesn't look familiar or what's not comfortable to us. And so the only way that you're going to uh, become comfortable is to have a dialogue and to um, respect other people's opinions. And then second, creating uh, access to capital so people can um, 
have a sense of place and know that they've got a safety net uh, if if their car needs repaired or if they have a medical bill they didn't anticipate or outrageous utility bill. I mean, some of the basic things, if, if they could just be offered some sense of security, then, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if things are secure, they can move to the next level of self-actualization. But you're getting, these folks are in combat mode. You know, they're just trying to survive and sleeping on each other's couches and moving when they can't pay the rent and leaving their kids alone while they work several jobs. I mean, there's a lot going on there that keeps them isolated because they're all fighting their own battles trying to survive. I mean, the concept is so simple. I mean, if you think about globalization, globalization by definition means that you look away from your domestic economy and you focus on global commodity markets. And so that has destroyed our neighborhoods, domestic economy. So really what you need are entrepreneurs. That It's like going back in time and starting over again. Jackie also pointed out the importance of supporting apprenticeships, especially in skilled trade jobs such as carpentry, electrical, and jobs focused on renewable energy such as solar panel installation. This connected with something Benjamin said about tapping into the identity of a neighborhood's residents. This community in particular, um, you know, I'm the type of person that believe in building things from the bottom up. And this is the area that uh, I believe needs the most work. And that requires the most attention. And I believe that you should go into areas that require the most need. Um, and, and, and it's not handout type of need, it's hand up type of need. Because uh, a lot of people in these areas are very proud people. Uh, they're hardworking. Um, but a lot of times, even being proud and hardworking, sometimes opportunity doesn't present itself. Um, and so it's a struggle and it's a fight. So how do we fight and build from the bottom up? It all goes back to building a strong sense of community, which can start with education and an understanding of everyone's history. Here is George Donlow. He was part of the very first interview I did with some elders from the Mexico neighborhood. We met outside at Hellrung Park, right in the heart of Mexico. Cause like I went to school and they didn't have black history courses at school. <laughs> so other than we were slaves and rolling boat, that's all we knew about our history now. Yeah. That I think they need to change that. They need to really get behind that cause These younger people gonna have to learn to get along. There's probably no one that tells history about themselves better than white America. I mean, genealogy reports and knowing your lineage is so important um, because it just kind of gives you a sense of belonging. And with our culture, um, it's hard to find a sense of belonging when you can't trace much of your history because there's roadblocks or there's a lack of it. Um, and as children and, and stuff go through school and they're studying and researching and the only thing they see about themselves is they were in shackles and chains, that's not really given a full history of who they are as true human beings. Jackie points out that education is a major factor in the health of a community. And when it misses the mark, 
it can have significant consequences. We also know about the pipeline to school to prison phenomenon going on in underserved minority neighborhoods where what should be behavioral issues are getting prosecuted as crimes. They call it criminalization of, of childhood. So maybe you're have a fight with a teacher instead of getting it worked out, they just suspend them or they send them to juvie jail. I mean, that's another big problem that's probably contributing uh, to why these kids aren't getting, why they feel so hopeless, the poor school systems and, and how they're being treated. They need to stop doing that. And of course, kids are going to have behavior problems if their parents are poor and if they're hungry and they're sleeping on a couch and, you know, they're not coming to school ready to learn. Here again is David Patterson. So I'm going back to education again. I keep going back to it that if you're able to impart something into these young people, give them a sense of opportunity that they can achieve, they will achieve. It's interesting because um, a lot of children feel that they cannot do because of where they are. And... You know, I came from much less than what most of the kids around here have, but they still don't see the potential there because they don't get to see and talk to enough people that started out with the bare bones and were able to be successful. And it's unfortunate because they need those types of role models and someone to let them know that it is possible. You know, you have to make sacrifices and it's hard work, but it's possible. George Terry, who you heard from in part one, is a shining example of this type of role model. Like Judge Eller Duff, George decided to remain in Mexico, even after a successful career in education. Here is David complimenting his good friend George. The, uh, uh, for George, and I have told him many times how proud I am of what he has accomplished with his children. See, the story needs to be told that when the children were very young, George and his wife divorced. He raised those children by himself. Now, she came over and assisted sometimes, but he had the children. And so when people say, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, how can this man, in spite of all the difficulties going on, raise such outstanding young men? Not just... Average, but outstanding. And, you know, and got the head on their on the shoulder properly. So if we could, if we could some, somehow incubate that, that, that he has, has learned and accomplished and put it all over, maybe we would have more young children that, that would accomplish great things. I was just one kid that lucked out, mm -hmm. that just lucked out. Because my dad, he was a laborer, just like everybody else's dad. You know, he worked at the flour mill, he worked at Duncan. I mean, he wasn't any outstanding educator or to tell me, George, you need to be this, or George, you need to be that. And I think coming from that, you want, it makes you a stronger person, especially for your kids. And 
there's a lot of kids that are doing well. And I think the whole Mexico upbringing has caused a lot of that. George is doing very well successfully, financially. He could have lived anywhere in the St. Louis metropolitan area that he wanted to, anywhere that he wanted to. But he chose, he chose to remain in Mexico. That is what says so much about someone who wants to make a difference. And he's not enamored by all the, you know, the accoutrements that the people are looking for, uh, the big houses and, and uh, this, this or that. But just trying to be there, be close and make a difference uh, in the lives of uh, everyone. And people easily see it. They come over there. Well, you know. You could be living way over there, you know, in that big old giant house, you know. But when they come to his house and they see that ain't, it ain't all that it's cut out to be. Now, a lot of us did. <laughs> a lot of us, we, we, we headed out as fast as we could, you know, to find a bigger house, to find this, to find that, you know. But he chose to remain there. I came back and wanted to make a difference. And I did things that I thought was important. And that was trying to show other kids that, hey, you can go to college just like I could. I wanted to be an educator. I did go on to be an educator. The Alton School Board that Lovejoy was in, I served on that board for over 25 years. So anything involving education motivated me. That's what made me want to go in the same profession to help people, to especially help young people. David and George told me about another way they and many others are involved in giving back to the young people in their community. What started as a reunion for black alumni who went to Alton High School has turned into a nonprofit organization called the Friends of the 60s Alton Black Alumni Association, which raises money to provide current students with scholarships. Here again is Benjamin. Community for me has always been uh, a strong love for the area that you're in, uh, prosperous entrepreneurship, opportunity, visible role modeling, um, educators and, 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 and people of status, whether it's lawyers, doctors, living within that community and not moving out. You know, those are all things that I that I feel that make up a great community. And um, I'm always hopeful, you know, it, it takes one uh, to start. And and you hope that through that, it'll get contagious and, and more will, will come. I asked Benjamin and Judge Duff if they thought it was possible for Mexico to regain its strong sense of community. I think we can because life seems to be like a pendulum. It swings this way until it goes as high it can go, and then it swings back, and it's very slow. So I think there are enough people that are concerned and that care, but if you don't interact and you're not a part of the community, then those doors are not open to you. And it's not so much that they're closed, they're just not open because the opportunity doesn't present itself. Um, well, I tell you, with, with the Small Business Revolution show, um, it put a spotlight on this area. 
Um, and it's given us the opportunity to have conversations that we haven't had in the past because it's just sort of been overlooked. And so we're fortunate and blessed that a spotlight has been put on an area that now we're at least in the conversation. Uh, still too early to see whether or not what true effects it's going to have, but I'm hopeful. And from uh, just a short time that we've experienced this exposure, uh, I'm very optimistic that uh, we will see some changes and we'll, and I believe that we'll get a chance to sit at the table uh, and be a, more of a part of the city as a whole. The only thing I hope we got out of this is not just the world is prejudiced against black people. It's more than that. Although that problem exists, it's still more than that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what more it could be. I, that, that's about the worst thing to happen. Because, you know, you get knocked down so many times. And after you get knocked down so many times, some people don't want to get knocked down again. And they'll just comply. Or it's, a not, it's, it's, it's hard, Bobby. It's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to learn to deal with prejudice. Mm -hmm. But it's other things you've got to learn to deal with. Like having enough sense to go vote mm -hmm. for who's going to represent you. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with prejudice. Mm -hmm. That just has you common sense to go do what you need to do. To help try to eventually, if you can, just knock a little edge off prejudice. Yeah, but if you don't do all these other things, mm -hmm. how do you think prejudice is ever going to leave? That was Robert Armstead and Pearl Carter, two more elders I interviewed outside on a very windy day at Hellrung Park in Mexico. So what do some of those that I've interviewed want you to know about this community that they care so deeply about? So I just want people to know that here in the Mexico area, there's really nothing to fear. Um, the people here are, are, are hardworking, are, are good people. But the Mexico that I know is, um, other than the streets aren't well kept, the homes are, you know, lesser homes are just as safe as any other neighborhood. Like Alton prides itself in the Midtown area. Well, Mexico to me is just as safe as that Midtown area. And I just haven't had any problems. And so I would ask people before you carry on those ideas about what Mexico is, you know, at least drive through Mexico and see what it's like. Learn to, instead of going by what somebody else said, find out for themselves. Uh, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of history, uh, a lot of history that, uh, that we came through in Alton, and I think it's good. And what you're doing is trying to highlight some of the things. It wasn't all positive, wasn't all great, but from it all, you, we learn. You know, you, you don't learn just from your successes. You learn from your failures, even more so. And we've had a lot of experiences that uh, we have all had to endure, and we thank God that uh, uh, 
we're able to to uh, continue and hopefully try to instill something into uh, some young people to uh, know your history, you know, know your history. You know, like they say, you know, those that don't recall the past or destined to be living in the future, you got to know your history and try to make something positive happen in this world. Hopefully through this two-part episode, you are beginning to realize what I have come to realize, how rich and important the story of this community is, and maybe more importantly, how essential it is for us to understand the issues the community of Mexico is facing, instead of assuming these issues are the face of the community. You know, our people in the Mexico neighborhood, those families are survivors. Those families went through slavery. They went through the abolishment of slavery, which Illinois barely, barely skipped through. And then after that, Illinois enacted so harsh of laws to where a freed man in Mexico could be drafted back into slavery. Then those families endured, you know, segregational issues where they had to create their own schools. They had to create their own churches. They went through war in segregated times. Those same families are families from Mexico that endured the times and the social norms that America went through. This area is a micro macro to America and the things that America goes through as a whole. And we can see the examples of it if you dig within Alton's community as a whole. And once again, here is Faye Walker-Taylor. Well, I do love where I came from, and I would just love to see it rebuilt back up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know we have a different era of kids, and, but we just have to be who we are to teach them and live our life the way that we should so we can be that role model. Somebody is looking at us, and somebody do want to mimic us, whether we realize it or not. <laughs> I would love to see Mexico built back up. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I believe we can do it. We can. We might not can grab all of them, but we can get one or two, and then one or two will be the start. This episode of All Town USA was written, edited, and produced by me, Stephanie Young. Theme music by Will and Janet Buchanan. Special thanks to Robert Armstead, Jackie Burns, Pearl Carter, George Donlow, Eller Duff, Benjamin Golly, Don Huber, David Patterson, Floyd Raglan, George Terry, Faye Walker-Taylor, and Joshua Young. <laughs>